prayed about that. And, and if you would, as we begin our service, would you stand for the reading of God's word? And when uh, following the reading of the word, uh, we can greet one another. Psalm 138, Psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth, you sh all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Amen. Amen. Please greet one another. And David will lead us in worship following. seated after you've uh, greeted one another. <laughs> There's a lot of greeting going on out there. I have a couple of announcements I just want to share with you briefly. Last Sunday we gave you a sheet of paper to sign up to help with an Easter production we were talking about. This week we decided not to do that. It's kind of a lengthy discussion, but it's all good. I just want to share with you, if you signed up, thank you, because we'll put you to work when that does come around, okay? There's a sheet of paper on the cadenza uh, in the back and also at the exits here. A longer explanation. If you want to take that and read it, you'll know what's going on, okay? Also, I want to say thank you this morning to Steve Moscow. Steve is going to help me by directing the orchestra, and he also is our handbell choir director permanently. So Steve's been working with the bell choir. They're going to be playing once a quarter, we hope. And I'm excited that uh, Steve is helping with that. Now we're going to begin our time of worship with a song called Worthy of Worship, and would you stand as we sing, please? <laughs>
Would you join me as we go to our Savior in prayer? Holy Father, what a privilege it is to bow before you this beautiful Lord's Day. Thank you for the Bible study hour that has preceded this joint worship this morning. Thank you that we can sense your presence and know that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are also. We thank you for your holiness and for your glory and your might, for your faithfulness, for your steadfastness, Lord. We read in your word where that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that you never slumber nor sleep, but you're always conscious and open, and we can have access unto your throne of grace. Thank you for the great salvation that you have made available for all mankind. Thank you for those people that share your word day by day. And I especially thank you, Lord, for those that shared your word with me many years ago. The privilege, God, of having these years to walk with you. Thank you for this fellowship. Father, no doubt there are special needs with the hearts of each individual that is here today. Father, you know all about those things. Some of them are really a burden. There may be someone here this morning that's just burdened down, just feel like, Lord, there's no hope. But we pray, Lord, that today they might lift their eyes and open their heart unto you and hear your word today as it is proclaimed. Bless our pastor and his family as they share, as he shares this morning. I pray for he and one of our brother middle as they travel to Brazil this week. We pray that your hand would be upon them. Give them safety of travel. But above all, our Father, that they may tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray you have freedom to work in our hearts today, and for those that do not know you as Savior and Lord. Oh, help them this morning, Father. Help them to realize where they are and where they're headed, and make a U-turn today unto you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
let's sing together a song called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Would you please join me in standing as we sing? Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts before you this morning, we recognize that all that we have is by your hands. Father, we are indeed grateful for the opportunity to come and to fellowship and to worship you. Father, we thank you for that privilege. And Father, as we come to that moment where we give back what you give to us, I pray that you would bless it indeed. And I pray, Lord, that you would use these offerings and these tithes, Lord, to honor you and, Lord, to further your kingdom here in Broadway, here in Fayette County, throughout the world. Father, may you lead and guide and direct this church that we may honor you and that, Father, we may be peacemakers and, Lord, that we may be men and women of character and men and women of integrity. Father, you will honor that and you will bless that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As the night fell, I was spotted by two men that I had robbed. They dragged me out of the car and they beat me. I opened up my door and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. I was a habitual felon, meaning that I had been in prison several times. I had several multiple felons that I had been prosecuted for. I had been told by my attorney that, um, that all hope was, was gone. And one Saturday morning, uh, a brave soldier came through, uh, probably one of the bravest men that I've ever met. In his hand, he had a little brown book. He said, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He opened it to the back pages and shared with me the plan of salvation. He told me that the Lord loved me and he could forgive me of all my sin. I took that New Testament back to my cell and for the very first time I opened up that New Testament and I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and he gave me that little book and told me to take it with me. Told me to put my name on the back of it if I believed it and uh, he turned and walked away. Gideons are men of your church doing what they've been called to do. These are your testimonies. The Gideon Ministry expands your opportunities for evangelism in your community and beyond. When you participate in the Gideon Ministry through prayer, financial gifts, and membership, you dramatically expand the reach of your church. In fact, over the 100 plus years of the Gideon Ministry, You've enabled us to give away almost two billion copies of Scripture. Please join hands with us as together we become God's love in action, placing His Word across the street and around the world. I don't know where all the millions of Scripture has gone, but I know where one Scripture has gone, and it landed in my hands. Because of you and the purpose and the plan of the Gideons, my whole life has changed. And it was that scripture that began the journey for me toward a life of obedience to Christ. Because it is the Word of God that transforms lives. The Gideons were founded over 100 years ago in 1899 in Wisconsin. Two salesmen, they were traveling around the late 1800s. And they knew each other and they thought, here we are, we go from town to city to place and why aren't, we're, we're selling stuff, but why don't we give away God's Word? Why don't we do something more than just sell our product? So they created a ministry called the Gideons, and the purpose was for them to, as using their professional career as salesmen, to also distribute the Bible. And one of the ways they did that it's in a, in through hotels and motels, and the first, uh, um, first hotel was one in Montana that they distributed the Gideon Scriptures. You always wonder, it says, why do the Gideons call themselves the Gideons? Well, that comes back to the book of Judges in chapter 7. There was a judge named Gideon, and in Judges chapter 7, Israel was in an unusual time. They were um, in the period of Judges, after Joshua there and after Moses. Well, what happened was God raised up this man named Gideon who was all, very timid of a leader. And there was these people group called the Midianites. And they were huge. And it was time for Israel to attack them and drive them out of their land. And God raised up Gideon and says, we're going to drive this evil people group out of their land. 
in Judges chapter 7. But and Gideon, you're going to be the one who's going to do it. And Gideon struggled with that. Remember, that's when he went through the fleece test. He uh, was concerned about um, whether they were their arm, Israel's army was good enough to win because he didn't believe they could. So they started out with a large group of men, and God whittled them down to 300 men. And it says the Midianites, there were so many of them, it was like they were the sand on the seashore. They were everywhere. So they went to battle, and this is how they went to battle. And God said He was going to do this for the very purpose so that when Israel wins, there's no possible way they could look back and say, we did it in our own strength. It was solely by the Lord. They went to battle with a glass pitcher in one hand and a torch in the other hand. That's it. And there's only 300 of them, and they're fighting thousands. And you say, how, how could Israel win? Well, one of the great things about God's Word is when you give away a Bible to someone, or your Bible at home, we forget that the Bible is alive. It can fight and speak for itself. And the Gideon ministry that was started in 1899, they believe all I'm going to do is hand out a Bible. Now, whatever happens to that Bible, I have no idea. But God's Word, if it's available and someone opens it, or the Lord leads them to open it, it will speak to whoever reads it. Well, that's what happened with Gideon. He went with 300 men, and he attacked the Midianites. And so how did they win? They broke their uh, glass pitchers, and they're, they're screaming, or they had a trumpet as well, and they've got their, their little torch. And it says the people woke up in the middle of the night so startled, they started killing each other. The Midianites killed their own people. The Israelites didn't even have to do anything. Literally, the, and that's how the Lord worked. They were so disoriented, they killed all among their own folks. And that's how Gideon won the battle with such a small army. And that's what happens when you go with the Lord and you trust the Lord. If He says you can do it, you certainly can. These here, the Gideons, they go around distributing Bibles. Here in Lexington, they give Bibles. A year ago, I stayed over at the, if you look out the window, the Courtyard Hotel. Sherry and I opened up the little drawer. And do you know what was there? A Gideon Bible. Those hotels right there at Beaumont. Our local Gideon chapters supply those hotels. Back in October, UK's campus doesn't allow the Gideons to actually stand on the campus, but Gideons can stand on the street right there next to the campus. This past October, that one Saturday, they passed, over, they passed out 6,000 Bibles. Not only that, our local prison here at the Fayette County Detention Center, we heard the chaplain speak to the men's breakfast yesterday morning, Frank Firestein. Do you know our Gideons go there once a quarter and give out free Bibles to all the inmates? We supply every hotel, the Gideons, when I say we, every hotel in our county, the prison right here, and UK's campuses with Scriptures. I want you all to know something, church. No other church is doing that. They're not doing that type of ministry. It's the Gideons who are stepping up and doing that. Say, who are the Gideons? The Gideons, men, are you. You have to be 21 years old, and you have to be a, 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 a business professional. How they define a business professional is you have to have a college degree, and you have to be willing to pass out the Bible, and you can do it. That's what a Gideon is. We should have a sanctuary here filled with Gideons. 
Men, if God hasn't called you to be a deacon, He should call you to be a Gideon. I mean, there's, this is what it, if Guys, if we don't believe in this book, that it can change people's life, we stand on nothing. We, we have nothing to stand on if we don't believe this book can change someone's life. When you support the Gideons, all you're really doing is saying, I support the Bible. Because that's all the Gideons are. It's folks that believe the Bible can change your life. I'll never forget one of my, my favorite Gideon I've ever met. He actually passed away this week. His name was Jim Henley. Jim Henley was a successful businessman in Atlanta. Jim retired in his 60s, and he could have traveled the world, just do whatever he wanted to do. But he was a member at First Baptist Jonesboro. That's where Truett Cathy, Chick-fil-A, is also a member. Well, they had a strong Gideon member ministry there, a lot of the men there at First Baptist Jonesboro. So he thought, you know, I'm going to... And you know, true at Catholic Chick-fil-A, you know, he taught, even up to his death, he taught middle school Sunday school. He taught the boys. That was the, the church broke it down, boys and girls. You had the CEO of well, the, the most successful um, fast food business, and he's, every Sunday he'd show up and he'd teach 6th through 8th grade boys because he invested into them at First Baptist Jonesboro. Well, Jim Henley thought here i am retired god's blessed my life blessed my businesses i need to do something for the lord so he became a gideon and uh, i've heard him speak before he was a great encouragement to me he every time he saw me he says dan i want you to know i pray for you regularly he even followed up with little little he write notes about once or two twice a month says dan i'm praying for you he'd encourage other pastors well, let me tell you what jim did this is phenomenal in this ministry there in Atlanta, the Gideons wanted to do outreach. Well, in Atlanta, there's an airport. It's the busiest airport. When you die, you will go on your way to heaven. You will go through the Atlanta airport. Every flight is connected through Atlanta. That's a fact. You know, I'm going to Brazil, and you know where I'm flying through? Through Atlanta. It's the way. I mean, every, every little flight down this airplane, if you see a plane, it's headed to Atlanta. That's where they go. Well, well not only that, flights from all over the Middle East in closed countries, Muslim countries, they also go through Atlanta. Well, I, I was shocked the Atlanta airport allowed this. Jim and the Gideons there in Atlanta, every Saturday, they would bring thousands. They'd just load up Bibles and haul them into the uh, airport in the common areas. People are changing flight, which planes, and they would stand there. These planes would come in from the Middle East, and they're all Muslims. And they're standing there, guys, handing out Bibles to them. These are folks that IMB missionaries couldn't go into the countries and give our Bible, but these people are passing through America, changing airplanes, going to who knows where in Atlanta, and they're receiving a Bible. Every Saturday, your Gideons in Atlanta airport are there passing out the Scriptures. Now listen, what's powerful about that, no church is doing that. That's not one church, that's a group here that's... Certainly doing that. And Jim would tell me, I followed him on Facebook, and you always give a report on like Sunday. He says, guys, we led 73 people to the Lord, or 103 people. There would always be some incredible number of people who got saved because these are, these are Muslims passing through, and they're receiving a Gideon Bible, and they would pray and receive Christ if they engaged in a conversation and get saved right there at the airport. That is how the Gideons are getting the gospel out. They're at your airports passing out the Scriptures. They're at your prisons giving out Bibles. 
They're at your universities, right there passing them out, and they're in every hotel. Church, we have to support this ministry. Next Sunday, we're going to have Bob Gillette. He's the um, president of the, uh, uh, the North Lexington. There's two Gideon chapters here. He's the president of the North Lexington chapter. He's going to be preaching next Sunday. And after the service, we're going to have Gideons at our four exits. And I want this week you to be praying about. And they're going to be holding an offering plate. Church, I want you to be thinking about, how can I support the Gideons? When you give to the Gideons, 100% of that goes towards buying this book right here. You're buying a Bible so that it can be given out to somebody as they change planes at the Atlanta airport. And they're hearing about Jesus for the first time. Folks get saved from Gideon Bibles. All a Gideon is, someone who gives out a Bible and tells someone about Jesus. Men, some of you need to become Gideons. You're at a season of your life saying, God, what's next for me? You know, if, if I wasn't, a, a ministers actually can't be Gideons until you've retired for five years. I hope one day I'm a Gideon. I hope I get the opportunity to pass out the Scriptures. Man, if you're not a deacon, and if you are a deacon, you should still be a Gideon. This is something, wives, you should be praying for your husband. Say, should my husband be a Gideon? Should my boy growing up, I want him to be a Gideon. This is something men were called to be. It's someone who passes out the Bible. You know, the Bible actually says, God's Word does not return void. It doesn't. You know, if you aren't even able to do a full gospel presentation with someone, you can hand them a Bible. And remember, just like Gideon in the book of Judges, chapter 7, how does 300 people with a, pitch, a glass pitcher and a horn and a torch beat a thousands of Midianite army? Because God, God goes to the battle. He created the people to kill each other. And the Israelites won. God's Word will fight and does fight for itself. That is what it means to be a Gideon. Next Sunday, I want you to bring an offering. When these men are standing at the door, you need to be thinking about, how can I give to support this ministry? What can I do, Dr. Bob Gillette, to help pray for the Gideons? How can I help doors open so I can be a part of this? Or maybe you just need to say, I need to join. I need to be out there passing out the Scriptures as well. A vision that two salesmen had in Wisconsin in 1899 continue today. Over two billion Bibles have been distributed. Listen, Gideons give out more Bibles than churches do. It's usually the Gideons that are out there, the ones passing out the Scriptures. We have to support our local Gideon. You know, they were saying yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast, Bob Gillette was there and he spoke also. He said, our church in the Lexington North Camp of the Gideons, we are the largest supporter of the Gideons. We're all the way Baptists. That's something, we don't want to pride ourselves about that, but that's something we want to continue. Listen, all Gideons, if you, if you love the Bible, you should love the Gideons. Next Sunday, I want you to come, I want you to bring an offering, 
And I want you to support our local Gideons with that. Open your Bibles, book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing the model prayer right here. The model prayer is given by Jesus. We looked at it last week. This is lesson one last week was about how you should not be using the word I, me, and my. Jesus did not use those words in the model prayer. So as you pray to the Lord, hopefully God speaks to you. Say, Lord, are my prayers really about me? And we look at how he prayed. He used the word your, our, us. He didn't use those uh, I, me, and mine. That was last Sunday. Today we're actually going to look at what's really interesting about it, how the Lord's Prayer ends. And we're commanded and we're told to forgive each other. And forgiveness is an important part of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, forgiveness is very important. This past, we're going through the Ten Commandments. And in the... Um, on Wednesday nights and this past Valentine's Day, we studied murder, just how the ball bounced. So we're up here on Valentine's night studying, thou shalt not kill. And we're up here talking about that. And Jesus actually said, he said, if you have, if you come to church and you have you know, some hatred or anger or something wrong, if there's a problem with your brother or there's a problem with a family member, that there's a conflict that you should leave your, your offering at the altar, and go and take care of that before you first come to church. And what Jesus was saying there, He's saying, before you come to worship, if there's some animosity or for un some unforgiveness or some hurt feelings, you need to first, before you come to church and pray and present your offering, you need to take care of that before you meet up with the Lord. And that's what we also see here in the Lord's Prayer. I want you to know the spirit of unforgiveness destroys people's soul. It will destroy your personal life. Your family life, your prayer life, your relationship with the Lord, your spiritual life. That we are surrounded by folks. You can think of people that you know that you've been hurt and you're not going to let go. The memory remains. And it, it's the spirit of unforgiveness. And Jesus speaks of this. We are commanded that we must forgive other people. In fact, if you refuse to forgive, we're about to see here. If you refuse to forgive other people, that is a sign that you are not saved. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says here, whenever you pray, the same verses we read last week. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. God knows our needs. Here's, our, here's the Lord's Prayer here, verse 9. Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you see there in the Christian Standard Bible, there's a footnote. Look down at the bottom at B. It says, some later manuscripts add, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what's really interesting in your Bibles, the Lord's Prayer stops right there. 
at verse at the end of verse 13. But then, all of a sudden, verses 14 and 15, it's almost like they're added on. And look at these two verses now, 14 and 15. And it's interesting that Jesus spoke this right after the Lord's Prayer. He's given the model prayer, how you should pray. And then he look what he says. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. What powerful scripture here. Jesus just told us that our unwillingness to forgive others also means God will not forgive us. If you refuse to forgive others, Christ will not forgive you. You know, Ephesians 4.32, you don't have to turn there, but it says, forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. So what happens? Forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. So what this means is, Jesus Christ has forgiven you. You get saved, you've given your life to the Lord, you're forgiven. And Christ extended that to you. So when you, someone has wronged you, they've hurt you, you've been a victim, you've been cheated, and you think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to forgive this person. Do you see the problem with that? Jesus Christ has forgiven you of that sin and all your sins, but you refuse to extend the same forgiveness that Christ extended to you. Jesus is saying, if you do that, you're not saved. Because you as a believer, who those who experience Jesus Christ's forgiveness, they by default have to forgive other folks. Forgiveness for Christians, forgiveness for us, church, it's not optional. We are commanded by, by the Lord, we have to do this. The sin of unforgiveness means you miss heaven. You are not saved. If you refuse to forgive, what happens here? Jesus identified this passage, our deepest, most urgent spiritual need. It's forgiveness, church. That's what it is. That's what we need. He says our greatest need we have, what takes someone to hell, is actually unforgiven sin. When you, when you die and you stand before the Lord, the Lord looks at you. And He doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees His Son, Jesus. Jesus' blood washes you clean. So what happens also, because He extended that forgiveness to me, when I, when I yank it back from someone else, I'm telling them they're not worthy to receive something from me that Jesus has already extended to them. And He's saying, that's a sign that you're not, you're not one of my believers. You're not a follower. Jesus teaches us that we've sinned, but we have this great hope here of forgiveness. Our hope, our salvation, it is based on the forgiveness of sins. And God, fortunately, He is willing to forgive your sins. If you've come here and you have, if you have sin in your life, if you have unconfessed sin, Jesus Christ forgives that. No matter what you've done. This is the hope of the gospel. You know you're saved. You, ever, you want to know how you're saved? You know you're saved because you've become a forgiving person. 
if you're willing to extend forgiveness to other folks, that's a sign that you have Christ in your life because you've received it from Him. Say, I can forgive other folks because I've been saved. Do you know there's a, there's a, years ago, if you go over in eastern Kentucky, over at the Tug Fort, Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River. Has anybody been there? The Tug Fort of the Big Sandy River. There's a group, the Hatfields of West Virginia and the McCoys of Kentucky. Well, starting in 1863, Asa McCoy, he was returning from Civil War and he got was murdered. And then the Hatfields, um, uh, there was a shooting on the courthouse there in West Virginia. The peak was the New Year's Night Massacre. The Hatfields surrounded the McCoy cabin there in Kentucky, opened fire that while the folks were sleeping. Two adults killed to beat up the wife. The children had to run away in the woods. It was horrible. They were frostbitten. Uh, this continued on between these two families. The, right there on the Kentucky-West Virginia line, there were two families. They hated each other. You know how it actually started? There was a fight over a hog. It was over Nothing. Nothing. These two families, and they were violent. The Hatfields and the McCoys of eastern Kentucky and West Virginia despised each other. And this was horrible in the 1800s. In the 1900s, it got to be more of a legal battle. These two families, finally, after over a, de- after over a century of fighting, fighting physically, then fighting legally, in 2003... Sixty of their remaining descendants came together and called a truce. They finally ended it. In 2003, there was this ongoing dispute between these two families. And it's just generational. If you were a McCoy, you hated these other folks. You don't even know why you hate them. You just hate them because Mama said so. And they've treated us bad over the years. And they're from West Virginia. That's the problem. And that's, that's literally what they thought. They stole our land. They killed our hog. They burned our house down a hundred years ago. And this went on and on and on. And it was brutal, some of the deaths. Lawlessness. Now, obviously, we laugh at that today. But probably, if we go back in time 100, 120 years ago, there was this raging hatred among these folks. And they don't even know why. Church, that could be you. When you find yourself in the midst of this, you don't see how silly it is. How it's a spirit of unforgiveness. It's a demonic spirit that brings this along. If you are in a McCoy-Hatfield fight, a family feud, a dispute, Christ is telling you, to stop. There's no point in that. That's a sign you're not saved. You know, these people are probably members of Baptist churches over there. They're probably deacons and Gideons too. They're probably passing out Bibles and they hate their family, hate their, or they're not their family, hate the folks across the state line. And I share this because if you or I aren't careful with this, this spirit of unforgiveness, it creeps into our lives and it can take root, and it causes bitterness and rage, and it leads to murder. It leads to hell, church. That's where this goes. Jesus is saying, brother, if you can't forgive someone, 
I'm not going to forgive you. Period. That's how he ended the Lord's Prayer. He said, by the way, don't just think praying this prayer here. If you pray the model prayer, you've got the magic prayer and you're going to heaven. No. If you refuse to forgive, I refuse to forgive you. You know, many times, our, our for unforgiveness isn't so much to the extent of the Hatfield McCoy family feud. I'll tell you, here's what's more like. This is what goes on. Back, I went to Stanford University there in Alabama. And uh, I was very active in my college and career Sunday school class. And um, we had interns there. And there was an intern there, and this girl was not Sherry. She was a, um, a college intern. And I guess I sort of liked her, so I asked her on a date. I went to Sanford, and we were going to meet at the food court there at Chick-fil-A. Big spender, so I have to support the local Chick-fil-A. So I told her what time. This is about a week before. And I showed up, and I was there. And she was around about five minutes late. Then she became ten minutes late. And, you know, it's embarrassing. I've already ordered my food at this point. Fifteen minutes late. I'm waiting. Waiting. And I, you know, kept looking at my watch. And uh, 20 minutes goes by, and she's getting later and later. And, you know, and I, and I went to church with this girl. We attended Sunday school, and I, I knew her. Great, great young Christian lady, I thought. And, um, and by this point, it's been 30 minutes. And I've already ate my food, and it's embarrassing. I mean, friends are walking by. I'm sitting there alone, saying, oh, it's saved. You know, someone's going to come sit at this table. After about 45 minutes, an hour, I realized what's happened. She stood me up. There was no date. So and what's odd about this, I'm going to see this young lady again because we go to the same church. and we're in this, we, you know, we, we go to church and school together. And, uh, so I see her again, and I, I, I spoke to her and said, hey, um, because you know, I'm thinking maybe her car broke down, maybe, uh, maybe a disaster happened. I'm sure something explained why she couldn't make it there to Chick-fil-A and meet me that we were supposed to be there. I didn't hear anything. This is before, I guess, text messaging back in the early, in the 90s, late 90s. And um, so I saw her there at Sunday school, college Bible study, and I said, hey, um, you know, I missed you. You know, we were supposed to have lunch together. And you know, her answer was, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Okay, so, you know, it's <laughs> how much of an impact I made. I thought we had a big date, and she forgot about it. And I want to tell you now, and, I, and you, you're, you're wounded. You're hurt. You know, it's like, I thought, okay, well. And she just kind of moved on. And she did say she was sorry. She forgot. And, well, I didn't ask her out again. But I also, church, I didn't trash her on social media. I didn't go around talking about how bad she was to other people. It's embarrassing. I got stood up. She was a no, she forgot. And I had lunch by myself that day. And yes, there was a sense of loss, but I moved on because I knew I was going to see this young lady many, many more times for many more years. We went to church together. We went to school together. We had all the same friends. Our paths were going to cross. So instead of me having a sense of raging, I've been rejected, I've been hurt, I was stood up. You say, hey, Lord, I, I move on. You know, I got rejected, got stood up, life goes on, there's other fish out there in the sea. And that's how it, it moves on like that. But listen, that is, that's, how un, that's how forgiveness works. At some point you say, hey, it didn't work out. I was a little losing in. I had, I, I, I had lunch by myself. And it's okay. The, the world didn't stop spinning. 
Now that is the appropriate response to when you've been hurt. And more, more likely, those type of hurts are going to look like that. When someone who's close to you, someone who maybe you even like, or someone you're even married to, church, they just disappoint you. They let you down. They forget about it, or they say something mean and hurtful. And it can even happen to church folks. It happened to me. But how, God is looking at how do I respond, how do you respond when you've been hurt? That's going to determine whether you have a forgiving attitude, how you respond. If you blast people, if you fire back, if you're ready to pull the trigger, Jesus is saying that is not forgiveness. Look here up on the screen. I've got a, one PowerPoint slide. This is what forgiveness looks like. This is what it looks like. Say, Daniel, how, okay, we know what the Bible says to forgive. How, does you, how do you apply this in 2018? Here's what it looks like today. Number one, you resist, re, resist revenge. It's tempting. You want to you strike back. You say, you've been wounded. You've been hurt. But Jesus never calls us to revenge. We do not strike back because we were hit. We turn the other cheek. Number two, we don't return evil for evil. That's very similar to number one. We, we don't fight evil. And a lot of times when you've been hurt, it's not necessarily always evil. It's just, you know, you were forgotten about. They just let you down. It wasn't they had malicious intent. You just weren't the top of their priorities for that day. And you don't come back with evil. Not only that, you seek reconciliation. That means you take the initiative to start the conversation. You don't wait for them to apologize. You go to them. Not only that, you pray for their welfare. I mean, you pray. You don't say, you don't pray for them to tragically fall. You pray for, say, Lord, I want what's best for them. Even though I'm hurt, I'm still going to pray them. And not only that, this is one of the hardest things to do. You don't bring it up again. Like, I wouldn't have told that story if she was here, that girl. So... You don't, if you're constantly reminding folks about what happened, if Sherry ever stood me up, and here I am 15 years later reminding her once a week, you know, you stood me up back in the old early days. No, when you forgive, it's over. You don't keep bringing it up. If you're bringing up the past to really to, to poke and stick at people, you have not forgiven them. Turn in your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Last scripture we're going to have, we're going to have an invitation here. But you have to see this because Jesus is going to tell us how many times we must forgive people. Have you ever wondered how many times do I forgive a, a person? Well, that was a question that Jesus was actually asked. Peter wanted to know as well. In fact, during Jesus' time, the Pharisees, they taught you forgive people seven times. You keep a little check sheet there. So when you offer your, you extend your forgiveness, you can mark it off. Seven times. Now look what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. I want to tell you what's powerful about this. What le led up to this verse is, um, do you know if you're ever um, hurt, someone ever sins against you? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20 tell us the proper way to confront somebody. And the way you do it is first you go one-on-one. You don't bring anybody with you. If there's a problem, you go to that person directly. Then if, if they refuse to repent or they fight back, and there's, there's something needs to be addressed, the Bible says here, you bring a second person with you. Maybe bring a, a friend or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. Say, hey, we need to go talk to this person. But the whole goal is reconciliation, repentance. And then thirdly, it says you bring it before the church. 
saying this person here is living in immorality or has there's a serious problem here but what's powerful about what jesus says here he says all reconciliation begins 101 that's how it starts face to face that is the best way to resolve a problem but then what happens here we forget about this peter then speaks up this is right after jesus's teachings he gives us teachings here on restoring someone and then in verse 21 it says then peter approached him and asked lord how many times shall i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me as many as seven times seven times would you forgive somebody I mean, that is what the Pharisees were teaching. You go to church, they were preaching. You get to forgive somebody for seven times. And just keep a checklist. I've offered you number three today. So don't be key. You only have four more to go. That is what I'm, so we laugh as absurd. That's what Peter believed, like seven times. And look what Jesus says here. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. Well, that's 490. Jesus is telling us to forgive 490 times. Now, he is, does not literally mean to get a pen and paper and start counting 490 times. He's saying unlimited. He's saying no, not, not 7 times. 70 times 7, as much as you can, you extend forgiveness. Say, why, Daniel? Why did we do that? 70 times 7, because God gives the same forgiveness to you 70 times 7. If you are forgiven unlimited, you must forgive others unlimited. Our forgiveness reflects God's forgiveness we've received to Him. The sign, the attribute of being a believer in Jesus Christ is that you forgive others. I want to tell you all, if you are harboring the sin of unforgiveness in your heart, brother, you might not be saved. You are. You're not saved. Because Jesus is extending something to you that you are not willing to give to others. Your life must be characterized by a life of forgiveness. I want to tell you, all of us are going to be disappointed. It's going to happen. We are let down. We are hurt. You're going to be a victim. There's going to be things that do not go your way. People are going to forget about you. And Jesus looks at us, and He's saying, well, how are you going to respond? When you've been hurt, that shows your Christianity. That shows your faith in Jesus. This morning, we're about to have our invitation here in a minute. Some of us, some of you, you're struggling with it. You can't make other people forgive, but all you can do is extend forgiveness, and it's not conditional. Forgiveness is not based on anything. And you have to be the one that extends your hand first saying, I'll start the process. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us this model prayer to pray. And He wraps it up by reminding us, saying, you are not going to experience God's forgiveness in your life if you refuse to forgive others. This morning, I want you to think about it. Last week, we looked at the challenge was not to use the word I, me, and my in your prayer life. This morning, is there someone in your life that you need to, before you offer, make your offering to the Lord, you need to leave your gift up here and say, I've got some unfinished business I need to talk to. 
God, I need to go talk to some people. I need to take the initiative and say, Brother, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It's my fault. When you do that, that is a sign that you are saved. If you refuse to do that, Jesus saying, God also will not forgive you. Lord, I pray this morning, as we have our invitation, that you speak to our life. Some of us here, we need to forgive others. We're hurt. Lord, our prayers are going unanswered and unfulfilled because we will not forgive. We're living like the Hatfield and McCoys. We've been stood up. We've been hurt. And Lord, we can't let go. And You're commanding us that we have to. Jesus, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here that needs to go to a family member or a child or a grandson or daughter, Lord, they will do that. And they'll say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have acted this way. Please forgive me. Lord, we want to be a body of folks who forgive. Forgiveness flows out of Christians because it flows from You, Lord. We're only able to give forgiveness because we've received it. And Lord, if there's no one here that has never received the forgiveness of sins that You offer through Your Son Jesus, I pray this morning they will walk this aisle and come take my hand and get saved. Lord, we give You this invitation. I pray we respond to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation. David Dale is going to lead us in our song. As always, I'm going to be standing down front waiting for you to respond. We're going to sing hymn number 256, Have You Been to the Cross? Let's stand together and sing our songbook. 256. Have you been to the cross where the Lord Jesus suffered? Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to the place of redemption for sinners? Have you been to Calvary? It was there on Calvary God's dear Son lay down His life for you. While there's time, don't delay. Place your faith in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes now to Calvary. You can search, you can buy and try everything man-made, but it cannot satisfy. It is Christ, only Christ, who gives life more abundant, and He calls from Calvary. It was there on Calvary God's dear Son lay down His life for you. While the 
there's time, don't delay. Place your faith in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes now to Calvary. While the Spirit's clear voice can be heard softly pleading, give your life to Jesus now. Trusting faith is a way to have life everlasting, and he calls from Calvary. It was there on Calvary, God's dear Son laid down His life for you. While there's time, don't delay, place your faith in Christ Jesus. Turn your eyes now to Calvary. I want to grab a microphone here in a second. But um, last night, about 10 o'clock, uh, we got a text message. I, you know, I can't hardly say it past 10 o'clock. I was dozing off, and Sherry was there watching the Olympics, and a text message. I thought, that's odd. Somebody's texting me at 10 o'clock, and she was headed for the, the kitchen. And I said, Sherry, check my phone and see who uh, texted me. And it was my mother who informed me about that. My grandmother just passed away last night at 10 o'clock. So she was in a nursing home in, um, in Birmingham, Alabama. She was 96 years old. Laura Osmus, my dad's mom, is my last grandmother. But this throws a wrench. I, ben, Bill, and I are supposed to fly out at 5 o'clock from Louisville to Brazil on Tuesday. So my dad's going to the funeral home today to plan the funeral. So very likely I'm going to have to change the, at least change the date back. So this is my next few days. So be praying. The Sherry and I pray will be driving to uh, Alabama tomorrow, driving home from Alabama Tuesday, then I'll be drove over to Louisville to hop on an airplane on Wednesday to Brazil. So that's my next three days that I have lined up. So be praying for Ben and I. We're going with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Ben's leaving on Tuesday. I'll be leaving Wednesday to head over there, or head down there, I guess. We're going to be sharing the gospel with some of the folks down there, as well as seeing what the IMB is doing. It's going to be an exciting time to see, um, uh, to see that mission trip. Tonight, we do have church. It's at 6 o'clock. We're going through the book of Luke, so I invite you back to church, certainly for that. Also have Team Kid for our children's ministry with that. Uh, so um, a great time. We're, we, uh, and then we have our regular Wednesday evening, um, uh, 5.30 dinner with 6, uh, 6.30 Bible studies that are going on. Remember, next Sunday, we have Dr. Bob Gillette, a Gideon, who's going to be speaking. So he'll uh, do a fantastic job. You want to come prepared to give offering to support Bibles. That's what the Gideons do. So that is that's next Sunday. I'm going to invite Zach. Zach took a great group of teenagers down to um, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and several of them got saved. Two weeks from today, we're having D-Now Weekend. That's Youth Sunday, and Zach's going to baptize several of the teenagers. So we're going to have a baptism service in two weeks. So, Zach, why don't you introduce our... Yeah, uh, Kalisa and Victory, would you come stand up here? So, yeah, at the winter retreat in Pigeon Forge, uh, Kalisa and Victory, they gave their lives to Christ that weekend, so they come forward to announce that before the church and, uh, and with the, um, 
expectation of being baptized in a couple of weeks. So we're really mm. excited about that, what God's doing. Uh, there's another student that um, we're hoping comes forward in the next couple of weeks who made a decision that weekend also, uh, who will be, we're hoping to have baptized that uh, same Sunday also. So hopefully next Sunday we have another student up here Amen. Um, uh, before then. So we're really excited about what God is doing in their lives and in the student ministry. So um, just thank you. And, you know, with the D-Now weekend coming up, continue to be in prayer. You know, we, we hope that more students come to faith uh, in Christ that weekend and that we continue to baptize students. I said at the beginning of the year, talking to students on Wednesday night, you know, I was talking about expectations for the student ministry and for the year. And, you know, one of my goals, and it's one of those things, it's, you know, like the Gideons, it's, it's out of our control, uh, but just that God would move and that we would baptize several students this year. I didn't put a number on it, but that we had multiple baptisms this year. And so uh, off to a great start. So we're so thankful to what the Lord is doing uh, in the student ministry. Thank you, Zach. If you're excited for Khalees and Victory, give a warm applause. There's nothing more exciting than seeing young people follow Christ. That's the best thing in the world to see folks uh, give their life to Jesus. So what we're going to do, I'm going to invite everyone to stand up, and we always have a welcome line, a receiving line. So uh, David Dale's going to close us here in a song, and what we'll do is you come through the line and congratulate Victory and Salise and for their decision. Kalisa for their following. So I'll remember so with that. So All for right, them following great. Christ. Well, we're going to sing the chorus to redeem. Congratulations. It's good. Y'all did a great job. Okay, just make sure, yeah, I'll get those afterwards. Thank you. Hey, brother, man, how are you doing? It's so good to see you.